We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Looking to take family or friends out to a game? Try a Chicago Wolves fan four-pack. Four tickets, four Vienna beef hot dogs, four drinks, popcorn at one low price. And enjoy free parking this season courtesy of Kia. Visit ChicagoWolves.com for ticket information. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction. Starring Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. It all starts right here, right now on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Good morning, baseball people. It is Saturday. It's 9 a.m. It's time for Inside the Clubhouse. Bruce Levine, this offseason has no choice but to end soon. Whether free agents are signed <laughs> or not, this offseason must end because people show up on Tuesday to camp already. Good morning, Matt Spiegel. As Matt said, it's Inside the Clubhouse. We're with you every Saturday from 9 until 11, 52 weeks out of the year talking baseball. None is better than this week, Matt, with Baseball starting again. It's crazy because so many free agents remain unsigned. There's all these questions, all these rule change conversations, and yet here they come uh, showing up to camp, and we can talk about the storylines therein. Absolutely, and we have a great guest for you today, Ryan Dempster of Major League Baseball Network and the Cubs joining us. Jason McLeod, the vice president of the minor leagues and scouting for the Cubs to join us and talk a little bit about new philosophy of, of the minor leagues and how they're going about it. Matt and I are with you uh, talking rule changes, talking uh, the life and times of Frank Robinson, talking everything baseball here on Inside the Clubhouse. And I have a question for you about the seeming inevitability of Manny Machado to the White Sox or not that we'll talk about as well. Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 th- I think he's going to come. I think that it's he's going to end up here. He's still looking around and poking around, but it, the, he doesn't have any real offers other than the White Sox and the Phillies as of right now, right? Yeah, I mean, you have some interesting correlations that we'll get to at some point on the show. But uh, <laughs> uh, going into this week, we want to hear from you. Uh, on you're your, tired of waiting. You're tired of waiting on these free agents, your, your, aren't your you? major <laughs> concerns about your Chicago White Sox and Cubs going into spring training. Can you list them for us? Matt, I can give you a few uh, with the White Sox, certainly will Manny be a disruption, whether he's there or not, come the 13th with pitchers and catchers reporting, the 19th position players reporting. When does Eloy come to the Chicago White Sox? At what point will they start his major league clock? The what? Can the White Sox win 75 games this year? All questions about the White Sox with the Chicago Cubs, Joe Madden, is this a season where it uh, ends differently for Joe Madden? Is this a year that everybody will be watching Joe? Chris Bryant and his ability to stand up to being Chris Bryant again. And can Addison 
Russell be resurrected in Chicago? All question marks going into spring training starting in a couple of days. Looking for your calls and your texts, 312-644-6767, Cub fans, Sox fans, your concerns going into spring training. As Bruce said, there's a whole bunch there to uh, to chew on, that is for sure. Speaking of chew. Yes, sir. Uh, speaking of chew is right. Inside the Clubhouse brought to you by Max and Benny's in Northbrook, your home away from home for the best food in Chicago and the checklist. The best deli? Yes, indeed. The best restaurant? Without a doubt. The best bakery on the North Shore? No doubt about that. Dinners from 4 to 9 feature full meals of roast beef, chicken, and the freshest whitefish and salmon in the city. Bakery goods to die for includes sugar cookies, mandel bread, and home-baked bagels, bialis, and rye bread at maxandbennies.com. Private party room and business meeting area, 10 to 150 people. Catering is king. Ask for John at maxandbennies.com. 30 minutes from downtown, 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Love you some Max and Bennies. Love you some Major League Baseball and all that is about it going into spring training. The Cubs' concern that jumps to mind that you did not mention, the, one of the first things that comes to my mind is you, Darvish, uh, who says he feels good, says he feels comfortable, and that is a huge part. His mental comfort and stability is a big part of his success and apparently always has been, certainly seemed to be the case last year. And, and as, as of right now, nothing but good signs in terms of the health, the arm, and all of that for you, Darvish. Correct. Uh, he's been throwing for a couple weeks. Uh, so that that's the good news. Uh, the anticipation of him uh, being healthy 100%. You have to say it, Matt. It was there last year when he went into the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, after the elbow cleanup here, there is some doubt. The, the thing you have to talk about with Darvish is the fact that he came into last year in good shape, great shape, two years removed from Tommy John and a World Series appearance that fall. And he was one in five with a 480 ERA after eight starts when he got hurt. So my point is, is you Darvish back to being 100%, but who is that 100%? Who is you Darvish Well, now? when we had Jed Hoyer on the show a few weeks ago at the convention, he said he's expecting top of the rotation starter. He's not lowering the expectations one little bit. Everything was trending upwards for Darvish in terms of velocity, in terms of the health and everything last year. There was the World Series debacle, which um, I had attributed and others had to the tip, the pitches being tipped. But the mental side really, really frightened me last year about Darvish. And I know I'm not alone there in terms of people covering it, even some people within the organization. So I, I, I hope that he's going to be more stable. And they have done more than just lip service in trying to make things better in terms of that. The personalities on the coaching staff, everything. Like, they're really trying to care about comfort level for certain people, and he's a big one. What I hear from you, Matt, uh, is all accurate. But is there that underlying feeling the metrics they checked out were 100% correct? The heartbeat, we're not sure about. Mm-hmm. That's that. That is absolutely the feeling on on him, and he's he's a guy. And you know, as Jed said to us, that human side is something he believes more in as he gets older than he ever did at the beginning of his career. And I certainly have my concerns for you. I know he's an accomplished athlete who accomplished accomplished an awful lot as a pitcher for the Texas Rangers, and then going to the Dodgers before becoming a free agent. Uh, but at, at what point? Uh, does he start having his own self-doubt about his own ability? Well, it seemed to certainly happen last year. And the booze didn't help. 
So it, it, it seems like it doesn't take a whole lot to get him to fall off that, that mental cliff. Um, it, just to switch gears for a second, a bunch of people are texting us, Bruce, at 670-11, because they saw the report that Jim Duquette, I think, had, the former GM Jim Duquette, had told SNY that there was a Yankees offer originally for $220 million in either seven or eight years. And that he's talking about when they met back then. He's not talking about an active Did he give, offer. Us, a, give us a date? You know, is it... Uh, when, was I, it when, I, when I had read was it... Was it in the December when he met with uh, all the clubs? That's the way that I read it. Yeah. That, that's absolutely the he way that I read it. He met with the White Sox, the Yankees, right. and the Phillies that we know of. Right. There was that fourth team that we were never able to figure out who it was. The agent had said there was four. Mm-hmm. So for those of you responding to the news about that offer, uh, the way that I interpreted it was that was the offer then. Manny didn't take it. They have since added DJ LeMahieu and, and Troy Tulowitzki and right. done other things and not traded Miguel Andujar, et cetera. So I think that, that ship has sailed with the Yankees. Do you agree? I, not necessarily, Matt, because uh, they have a tremendous amount of uh, flexibility with and, Andujar. And the fact that he was almost the rookie of the year probably should have been, depending on your view of Otani and his time in the mm-hmm. major leagues last year. And the fact that um, many teams would take the Yankees up on this young hitter who looks like he's going to be a, a star hitter. I think he hit 27 home runs in his rookie year. So um, they have that flexibility. They have the flexibility of payroll. They have the flexibility of roster. They're a 100-win team that has added on – some really good players and some more depth to their bullpen and starting staff. I think I think they have already had the best offseason of anybody with with James Paxton and with J.A. Happ, right, and and with LeMayhew and Zach Britton and, and all these other guys that they've signed. They've already had the best yeah, offseason. Again, it was a One very good team to begin with. They're chasing Boston because uh, they didn't win 108; they only won 100. You think the Yankees would take a hundred again this year and roll the dice? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's extraordinary that you have two hundred win teams in the same uh, division, but such such is the case. And I I don't I don't say the Yankees can't get back into it. I, I really I really think they are the Yankees. They are the gold standard. They can do anything they want at any time. They got cheap at the right time, and they have built themselves back up to having some flexibility here. Hal Steinbrenner said, you know us, you don't count us out on anything until opening day, leaving, leaving that open. Here's the stuff from Jim Duquette who said that um, he heard that the Yankees' offer was um, in, the, in the, let's see, two, yeah, the 220 mil for eight years. Oh, 220 over seven to eight years, but a seven lo- to eight, seven well, there, to eight. There's That's a big, big difference. Di- yeah. And quote, a lot of teams are in that range. Also said Jim Duquette and another club has gone further than that. And he also thinks the Yankees are not, are, are going to not to be the highest bidder. Machado will have other options that are probably higher in other cities. He's thinking yeah. about the Sounds Phillies. Like a, a, at that point, a publicity re- release. The, the, on on Manny's behalf, on Manny's yeah, slash yeah. I mean, and, and it's good, behalf. and I'm not demeaning Jim, who's outstanding and is giving us information. But it sounds like um, it's mm. an agent source, without a doubt. And Jim, former general manager, twice, and does a great show on MLB Radio Network. But this is uh, this is information to further the market, to push the market, right? And it's. Uh, it's it's good for us and it's good for Jim, but it's also good for the agent to get this out there. See, that's that's why the whole thing feels like 
He is going to be a, a Chicago White Sox, and everything else is just leverage to try and push the White Sox up. And, it, it, and that was the case for J.D. Martinez and the Red Sox last year, that they were talking for seven weeks, eight weeks, and it started with the Red Sox, it circled back around, and he ended up with the Red Sox for a bit of a bump, $10, 15000000 million more than what the initial offer was. So is that going to happen? Is the market setting up that way, that Machado will be a White Sox just like J.D. Martinez was a Red Sox? I mean, I think the White Sox definitely want Manny Machado. The offer stands. They haven't had much conversation in the last three weeks. And that goes along with what exactly what your your premise is, that this is a push to get the White Sox to put more years and more money in it. Mm-hmm. If they had this offer, if they had this great offer from the Yankees, uh, and he wants to be in New York, as we have heard over and over again, why didn't he take? Why it? didn't he take two twenty over seven or eight? Because he wants three hundred, and he he thought then and still believes so, that so he can get three hundred. Does that say um, he's letting his um, agent do the job, get it done, or his preference is really not a team but the most money? Yeah, you know, J D. Martinez wanted two hundred. Right? That's right. where it started there was I want 200. Man, I've always that. wanted to be 6'5 and much better looking. But, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. I don't know. Dude. Keep holding out hope. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. There might be a shot. Uh, it's just this weird standoff of the market, right, where the teams are waiting, the players are waiting, and they're still playing chicken. They're still doing it. Good Crazy. stuff. Good stuff. I mean, uh, you know, again, a lot of people are, are tired of this Machado, Harper talk, Harper now uh, – Involved with the Giants, the Giants admitting that they spent time in Las Vegas uh, meeting with him the last few days. Uh, Is that just uh, to show the Giants fans that they are continuing to try to find the best players there? You know, with with the, the Giants general manager admitting that his owner was spotted in the hallways in one of the casinos there. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, there, there's a lot of different uh, a lot of different priorities here for people. None of them seem to always be uh, we're going to sign the player no matter what. As you have said many times, Bruce, when it gets to this point and they're looking for some giant offer, it's ownership. It's the ownership level where somebody usually right. steps in and says, you know what? I want to make this happen. What have we got to right. do? Right. So- and, and the White Sox are no different. Kenny and Rick do all the hard work. They've done a tremendous amount of uh, leveraging to get to this point. And ultimately, Jerry Reinsdorf is going to decide if he's going to go in eighth year, if he's going to go beyond uh, 200 or 210 or up to 250, like it's been reported mm-hmm. at some points. It's it's going to be on, an ownership decision, and it has to be when you're spending that kind of money, making that type of commitment. And it's possible that that decision might be the massive amount of dollars or it also could be giving the opt-out. Because as you've reported, there is no opt-out in the White Sox offer. Both J.D. Martinez and Jake Arrieta, after waiting all offseason right. last year to sign, they did have opt-outs. They did have opt-outs. They will have opt-outs. And uh, it was disruptive, not for Martinez signing late, but it certainly appeared to be that way for Arietta hmm. coming in in March. And you think Machado, Machado's, you think he's holding out for that opt-out? You think he wants that desperately? I don't know. Depends how much money is on the table, man. It's some crazy stuff here as we stand with pitchers and catchers for both teams reporting on Tuesday. They're already reporting on Tuesday. And you'll see most position players in before the 19th because under the new way of uh, starting baseball at the end of March, 
there's there used to be two weeks between pitchers and catchers reporting and game starting. Now there's only ten days, so you'll see most of the position players in before their automatic reporting date of February nineteenth. You'll see them all in probably by the sixteenth or seventeenth. And two weeks from today. February 23rd Correct. is when they play games. Absolutely. Cubs will be playing a game that day. The White Sox will have a split squad, half versus the Dodgers, half versus the A's. On the 23rd, the Cubs will be hosting the Brewers at Sloan Park. And I believe we have that game on uh, WSCR. I will take your word for it. Okay. Barring a schedule. This is Ray in Orland Park. Uh, before we take a break here, it's 670 the score. 312 644 Your concerns headed into spring training on Inside the Clubhouse. Um, we'll talk Cubs development with Jason McLeod at the bottom bottom of the hour. But Ray, you're up. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. Good to talk to you again. Uh, I have a uh, kind of a complicated question about the luxury tax. Uh, I, I have a feeling the Cubs aren't going to add anybody. You guys have mentioned Craig Krim- Kimbrell. I'd love to see them, you know, give a shot at him. But no. um, does the tax work like at the start of the season or is it like, throughout the whole year? I know the NHL, the salary cap is you can add over it with trades if you have injured players. Is it like that? How does the luxury tax work in terms of like adding talent and if they, if they can at the trade deadline, who might be the, the big fish to target you know, for that, that trade deadline deal? Thanks, Ray. Appreciate the well, call. Well, 2019 is when the payrolls – the players don't start getting paid until April. So that's when it starts. So it's April. You have until April to, to, to set your right. limit, and you hope not to go over the competitive balance tax. Right. So people say, well, you mean they're not getting paid? Well, they get, uh, they get meal money and uh, – and living house house housing money uh, from spring training on, but the salaries don't begin until April, or actually March twenty eighth when the season begins. And, and there's there's no way that they're going to be in on Kimbrel. Uh, Kimbrel's waiting for huge dollars, and he's not. You know, gonna Boston get it. seems to be playing the same game with Kimbrel that they. <sighs> That they played with J.D. Martinez last year. Well, Boston wants to stay under the tax. They want to get back under the tax, supposedly. But their bullpen, you look at their bullpen, you're like, how the hell do you go in as a World right. Series contender with that Yeah, you're, you're losing Kimbrel. You lost Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are two of your main cogs that led you to a championship. This is Ron on the south side on 670 The Score. Hello, Ron. Hey, good morning, guys. I wanted to ask you all, uh, what did Rick Hahn had said? That uh, even they didn't, you know, sign one of these guys. That he had, he was looking at some other moves. So I want to ask you. I mean, is just really preventing them? I know Bruce, you mentioned um, Jack Peterson and stuff, but does it get to a certain point where a team just says, okay, well, you know what, we're not going to sign sign this guy. We're going to have to make some other moves because there's still a lot of holes. And then lastly, guys, I, I just have to mention. <laughs> the great Frank Robinson. I tell you, you know, you look at Mays and Aaron, Mickey Mantle, but when I just really read all that he accomplished, boy, I tell you, he's he's right there with the all-time great. So I I really have to mention that. Just what he did on the field and off the field, just a a, a tremendous player in general. So that's it, guys. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate you. Yeah, Frank Robinson's impact was huge on many different levels as an important player in a basically southern town in 1956, breaking in with 38 home runs at uh, age 20, to uh, 1975 being the first African-American manager and also the second-to-last manager player 
mm-hmm. at the same time. I think that that has been forgotten here. He was actually, I think he got a, a $20,000 bump from his yes. $120,000 salary saying, yeah, we want you to manage too, Frank. You're our DH, but we also want you to manage It'll be 140 grand for you. Yeah, that that impacted me when I when I read the details about that because it was only a twenty thousand dollar bump, as you say, but he wanted to do it because he wanted to be the guy that was the first black manager. He wanted to do it. He knew he had the right, right. temperament to do it, and and he he wanted to do it. So he he didn't care that it was just a small little bump, and and he got the job. And I saw Jason Stark tweeted in his first game, he wrote himself in as the number two hitter, and he homered. Right. In his very first game as player manager. Yeah, a spectacular career. We'll touch on it. We're going to need to take a break. We're going to come back. Great guest for you today, Jason McLeod, the Chicago Cubs Vice President of Scouting and Minor Leagues, to join us at 930, 10 o'clock. Ryan Dempster, you're always uh, important to us here at 312-644-6767. Text Matt at 67011. This hour is brought to you by the Progressive International Motorcycle Show, February 15th to the 17th at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. Keep it right here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Home is where you want to be when you start out at home and then you go to first base and then second base and third. Eventually you want to come home. And that's why Zach Withers plays this from the Talking Heads almost every week. And I absolutely love it. It's inside the clubhouse on 670 The Score. I, I feel just lucky to get to third base most of the time. <laughs> you know, I, Bruce, I believe you have a child. I think you've I think you've done better than that in, in your life. Probably so. Okay. Um Let's talk to Carlo quickly in Libertyville on 670 The Score to rescue us from this conversation. Hello, Carlo. Hey, guys. Good morning. Love the show. Uh, quick question for you guys it's about the new Cubs pitching coach, uh, Hoddity. Wasn't sure you guys, what your guys' thoughts were on how he's going to be able to maybe change how the team manages the, the starting rotation, the bullpen, and with him being such a young guy with you know probably two or three of the rotation guys being older than him. How do you guys think it's going to work out for the Cubs here? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I I talked to Tommy. uh, He was on our show uh, about a month ago, and I talked to him at the Cub convention. I said pretty much the same thing as when you and I, uh, Matt, talked to him. Um, How's that comfortability level of just standing there with your elbow, you know, on the uh, the fence, standing next to Joe after not having ever done it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, are you going to be comfortable being the pitching coach right away? And his his answer basically is, I have great relationships with these pitchers from having worked with them already. So that's of no consequence to him. Uh, the, the idea of walking out to the mound the first time and things like that. I, I think that the major difference here is that um, there is a closeness, there is a familiarity that might not have been there with um, – the last pitching coach, uh, that's going to be automatic plus for all the pitchers and for Tommy going in. I think that's true. Tommy Hadovy and Mike Borzello have worked a lot together on implementing the game plans that the front office kind of right. helps to craft with these pitchers. Kyle Hendricks raving about Tommy Hadovy has worked with him extensively already. So to your point, those relationships exist. What interests me is that Hadovy will be doing – will have an opportunity to do the bidding of the front office more directly now as the pitching coach. So how does that affect the dynamic between he and Joe Madden as they stand there and discuss what to do? Exactly. And, and uh, you know, again, Tommy's relationship is very close with these pitchers. For instance, uh, Hendricks told me that he calls him, that uh, Tommy calls him Carl. 
you know, so he's got nicknames for everybody. And they, they just have a, a lot of fun going into it while they're doing all the hard work. I, I think I think it's a it's a very positive thing. It's not the typical, you know, old, you know, crusty crusty uh pitching coach coming in from, you know, thirty years in the wars. This is a it's a different philosophy that we're gonna be checking out here, but nonetheless a lot of these pitchers already have their game plan uh, in mind and uh, Tommy's respect to go along with it. It's inside the clubhouse on 670, the score. So you've got uh, development and coaching coming together. And that's a good way uh, for us to get to our next guest right here on the show. Bruce. Vice president of the minor leagues and scouting for your Chicago Cubs, Jason McLeod, taking some time out on a Saturday morning to join us in inside the clubhouse. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Bruce. Morning, guys. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great to talk to you, too. Uh, is there anything better than pitchers and catchers report? <laughs> As I'm watching snow flurries fall in my backyard right now, um, uh, the, the flight tomorrow can't come soon enough, man. We're uh, Yeah, we're really excited to get down there. Jason, uh, let's let's get right to the, the philosophical part of the, uh, of the franchise, especially pitching. You've talked about, uh, with a, a number of us, uh, over this last few months about a, a philosophy of changing uh, how you guys approach and deal with your young developing pitchers. Can you can you give us a little uh, A through B through C as to how that's uh, changing from when you came in here and, until your philosophy now? Yeah, you know, I made those you know, those comments at the at the convention a couple of weeks ago and and like I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's a glare. It's been a glaring weakness uh, for the organization. And, and yeah, we've looked at ways that we've um, gone through our processes from the evaluation side in selecting players to uh, the development side and how we were going to try to structure their throwing program, their throwing progressions. And like the comments I made a couple of weeks back, I think early in those first couple of years, um, yeah, we were trying to put uh, so many uh, check checks in place that, yeah, we were trying to look at long-term health, look at repeatable deliveries, guys who could throw strikes, and yeah, probably uh, eliminated a portion of the player pool that that cost us some some upside. You know, guys that were maybe rougher around the edges but had stuff, athleticism, things like that. Um, and we recognized that, you know, obviously after our first couple of years, and you know, so we we've made some continually made some tweaks on that side of things. Uh, to go try to capture more upside there, uh, a little add a little more risk to the portfolio, if you will. And then on the player development side, you know, it's been a a, a gradual change uh, when you go from you know, our first pitching coordinator to to Derek Johnson, who uh, was so good here and really wanting to um, you know carry take some bigger steps in terms of mm-hmm. how we were using analytics, some of the things that we were doing. Uh, with our throwing programs and trying to build velocity. And then, of course, he got a wonderful opportunity uh, to go be the pitching coach um, in Milwaukee. And then from from there, you know, we hired Jim Brower, uh, who carried it forward a little bit, you know, a little bit. And then he was hired away to go uh, work in the Mariners in the major leagues, which which led us to Brendan Cigar, where we are now. And, and again, it's been a gradual uh, tweaking of, on multiple fronts of a just trying to use um, analytics and analysis to our advantage. And then of course, always uh, researching, studying ways that we can keep our players uh, healthy while uh, trying to improve, you know, velocity, trying to improve performance on the field. Jason, if some of these guys are going to be here this year, um, some of the young pitchers, whether it's 
uh, Dwayne Underwood or, or Adbert Alzale or Duncan Robinson, who you'd, you'd, you'd brought up. And there's a bunch of folks that, that fans are just going to start to get familiar with. Might they be here out of necessity, or is it that change in, in, in development strategy in terms of, all right, if we think they're kind of ready, let's, let, let's push them forward and let's go ahead and take that chance with them at, at the big league level? Is it balancing that necessity with the change in philosophy? Which one is driving it? Well, hopefully it's not so much out of necessity because you know, that means that, that uh, it, we're getting underperformance in the major league, on the major league staff or there's injuries on the major league staff. So you know, obviously, hopefully our, our starting five or six up there in the major leagues can, can make you know, 30-plus starts each. And uh, you know, ideally, we want our guys to force the issue down there in AAA due to good performance. And you know, those 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 names that you mentioned, um, certainly, you know, quite a few of those guys took big steps forward last year. Um, of course, Dwayne Underwood got his first taste of uh, of the major leagues last year. And you know, I, I think we have some interesting options from a a depth standpoint. Just if it is a need based situation, I think you can go down there and get an Alec Mills right away if you need him. Um, I do think uh, Duncan Robinson is a guy because of the way he can really pitch to a scouting report. Um, he's got five pitches for strikes. It's not the overpowering guy, but he can you know, really pitch to a report. I think he's a guy that wouldn't be uh, scared off or intimidated if you had to go get him. Um, and then just I, like I've said in the in the past couple of months, you know, we we have that group now where I think we we have a handful of starting pitching options. Um, whether it be in the first half of this year, the second half, or in the in the next twelve to fifteen months, I think we've got you know a, a handful of guys with with the Keegan Thompsons and the Thomas Hatches, Michael Ruckers, guys like that, Justin Steele that are better now there to go along with Dwayne, Trevor Clifton, you know, a guy who made his first uh, pitch the second half in AAA last year, who was a high school pick for us in twenty. 20- yeah, we, we now have that grouping of guys, and now it's just up to them to take that, that step forward. Uh, taking a step further from Matt's question, uh, is it difficult when you have a uh, front office that uh, demands and wants to win a World Series every year, and then the idea that somewhere along the line you you might be blocked from bringing these guys to the major leagues for natural development because each pitching position is so crucial to trying to win 95 to 105 games and win another World Series? That's a great question, Bruce. And let's face it, I mean, when you're in a situation where you're trying to win the World Series and, and go deep into the playoffs every year, um, it's a different standard and, and, and it's a different situation trying to break guys into that major league team. You know, if you look at I, – I made this comment at the panel I spoke at at the, at the convention. Hey, go look at the, all the, the major league teams that were in the playoffs this year. And look at those rotations. It is, I mean, you, it's hard to find guys that are homegrown, drafted, right. that are on, in major league rotations pitching in the playoffs. I mean, you think about, you know, look at the Red Sox staff. It's Porcello, Price, Sale, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez, mm-hmm. Eovaldi. They're trading or signing these guys as free agents. You know, Ver, Verlander, Cole, Charlie Morton. I mean, you go down the list. Cleveland, Kluber, Clevenger, Carrasco, Bauer. I mean, these guys are coming from other organizations. It's not this like, Hey, we we draft them, and all of them are. You know, we're going to have three or four guys out of our draft from three or four years ago pitching us into the World Series. It just doesn't happen that way. When you have those kind of high expectations, you're generally having to trade for those types of players because you're trying to win now. Now, granted, there are teams that have done very well. Of course, I mean, you know, the Cardinals obviously have, have done well. 
Um, they've really hit on some first round picks. Um, you know, the Dodgers have, you know, got a generational player in, in Clayton Kershaw and, and obviously Walker Bueller has done very well for them. So it, it does happen, but the majority of the time, and those playoff rotations are usually built from outside the organization. Jason, um, one of the things that, that Theo has always said is that development is not linear, and that has been instructive along the way as we've watched some of the young position players, some of whom you've drafted and, and, or, or, or been a part of trading for, and, and they come up. It seems like now there's a demand um, that, that it has to kind of become linear, or at least like they need the development. And how do you, how do you help a kid? How do you help a young position player become what he can be? And, and because there hasn't been a lot of room this offseason on the big league club for them to make additions and change the roster an awful lot. They're expecting some of these guys to step forward in their development. How can you help make that happen for a young hitter? Yeah, I mean that's the challenge to to the the player development staff. That's the challenge to our players themselves. But at the same time, I think every player has to to look at it as every season is just a tremendous opportunity. If you're in the minor leagues, I mean you're going to have the opportunity to to get 500, 600 plate appearances, and those are so valuable. And you know when you see a guy like when it comes together for a player, let's say like David Bodie, who you know, three, four years ago, wasn't on the prospect radar. Um, he always worked incredibly hard, you know, coach's kid, kind of the guy that's so easy to root for because of the work ethic. But, you know, when you saw like opportunity meeting preparation, you know, things can come together and happen like that. And, and of course, you know, for, for that type of scenario, you want him to force the situation, which is what he's done. Uh, we have a couple of players that, you know, we've taken later in the draft that I, that you're starting to hear about now that, you know, could possibly you know, find themselves in that same situation when you look at a Zach Short that you know was in the 17th round, or even a Trent Jimbroni who we had playing in the fall league this year. You know, this guy's taken in the 22nd round, but he's you know, these guys are ultra prepared, have ability, um, and they're taking they're making the most of their opportunities. And those are guys that you know you haven't been hearing about and aren't going to get talked about like the Miguel Amayas and the Nico Horners of the world. But every organization you know, need those types of players to, to take big step forwards and, and kind of surprise you. Jason McLeod of the Cubs joining us on Inside the Clubhouse for a few more minutes. Jason, uh, I probably broached this question to you a, a couple other times, but I think it's still worthy going back to because of uh, giving, you know, Cub fans a, an idea of the dynamic. How, how animated do the sessions get when you and Theo and, and Jed sit down and talk about development and you guys go up and back and because of the closeness that you have with each other as friends and also as uh, business partners, how, how, uh, how much can uh, the decibel, decibel level go up and down without it being, uh, you know, disruptive to the relationship? <laughs> the decibel level usually rises um, <clears throat> most in the draft room, uh, draft meetings. But, um, yeah, you know, obviously when you're going through the grind of the minor league season, uh, you know, it's, it's nightly and, you know, we're, we've got this text thread that we're on that, uh, you know, we'll go be going through. It could be, you know, a kid playing in Eugene. It could be a triple A guy. And, and certainly when you're as invested uh, in our players as, as much as we are, it's, it's hard not to, to be emotional sometimes about, you know, how things are going with them. And yeah, sure. I'll get phone calls from Theo that are, like, hey, what 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 are we doing right now? Why, why is this guy not performing? Or, you know, why did I read this in a game report? And 
uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of fire back sometimes. And, and um, so things do get you know, somewhat emotional, but at the same time, we, we, we create player plans for a reason. And, and like they always says, we know that it's not linear, but at the same time, it's, um, it's hard not to get um, excited and, and disappointed at the same time when, when players aren't performing. How often do you have to bring up, hey, you got a 15-game winner pitching in Arizona. You have Dylan Cease, the minor league uh, pitcher of the year for the White Sox. You have uh, Torres, <laughs> the runner-up for rookie of the year. You have Eloy, the uh, talk of baseball coming into the White Sox major league team. Like, hey, uh, you uh, traded my guys like, kind of stuff. And, and we know that's that's what <laughs> Theo said in his first conversation with the media and the fans uh in october 2011 is we we developed to uh supply our major league team and to also make trades to fortify it and i know you know that but uh yeah. s- certainly it it has to come up that you've developed way more than what we see uh sitting out there on a nightly basis for the cubs yeah i mean yeah those things like those big players that you trade away that you know, those are givens and obviously they you know those were big huge impactful trades and um but even the you know the the Raleigh Lacey 11th mm-hmm. round draft pick that we trade for Cole Hamels you know or Ricky Thomas who we get for Ch- Jesse Chavez you know a 7th round draft I mean those are big trades and and as a staff as a scouting staff you know that you're always like sad to see them go but at the same time you feel really great that you were able to do the work and um you know, send off an 11th rounder from, you know, 2017, 2017 draft to get Cole Hamels. <laughs> so um, those are the ones that aren't talked about as much, obviously, as the Dylan Cease moves of the world, but those are the ones that, that really make you feel good. And and you also understand that, yeah, you, you're losing out on those guys. It's definitely going to you know, deplete the, the, the system rankings and so forth. But, you know, there's that old saying that, uh, you know, would you rather be on the front of, the cover of Baseball America or the cover of Sports Illustrated. And, and obviously, we'd rather be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Jason, I, I, last thing for me, I, I, I've heard that quote attributed to you that when asked where you learn the most about uh, a prospect as you're scouting them, that it's the living room, um, talking with him, talking yeah. with his family. And if, if, that's, if that's not apocryphal, I wonder if you could uh, just expand on that a little bit for our listeners. What, what do you learn about a prospect in, in that kind of setting that has proven helpful? Well, there are certain questions that uh, once you get away from the ballpark, you know, first of all, you know, backtracking a little bit, the, the area scouts do such a tremendous job of that. Um, that's, that's the hardest part of mm-hmm. amateur scouting is the makeup of the player. Uh, for me personally, over the years, I have found it uh, pretty impactful for me uh, to actually sit down with a player, look across the table, look in his eyes, and ask certain questions that are uh, kind of off the beaten path, if you will. Because you know, most of these guys that I meet with are meeting with all 30 clubs. They're coached up. They know what to say. But you know, I always just try to get a little more personal with them, have conversations that maybe are a little different than what they're, they're accustomed to. And just you know, over the years, whether – you know, it's walking on the outfield track with Clay Buckholtz and, and Theo and I talking about, you know, Clay's grandkids, what they want, what he wants his grandkids to say about him, or, you know, sitting in the hotel lobby with, with Chris Bryant and uh, Jed and Theo and Stockton over a cup of coffee, just having a casual conversation with them. Um, those are parts of the player that until that point, you know, we haven't experienced yet. And when you leave some of those meetings, you want to, you want to feel good about like in your gut about who the person is that you're bringing into the organization. And 
um, I have found that to be very helpful to me when I've been able to be in those situations. Jason, Matt, and I appreciate your time as always. Can't wait to see you out in Arizona where you can actually take uh, four or five layers of clothing off and uh, enjoy some baseball. Thanks again for joining us in Inside the Clubhouse today. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me on. Always great talking to you. Jason McLeod, Vice President uh, of Minor Leagues and Scouting for your Chicago Cubs. And uh, always a, a very interesting interview, Matt, because of the fact that he uh, he doesn't back down uh, from questions. He's always looking for a way to better themselves. And I, I think it's interesting that they pretty much admitted, you know what, there's only so many bullets in a guy's arm. Uh, we can't baby them all the way right. through the minor leagues. Right. And so that change in philosophy, let's go ahead and just, just use them. Use what you got. Yeah. Um, I think position players are one thing. Mm-hmm. I think organizations are learning. We can't dumb down the process of 80 innings a year for a starting pitcher for two years and then expect them at double A to throw 140. You know who McLeod's first ever draft pick was as scouting director in 2004? Uh, Matt Spiegel? No, number 65 overall in 2004, Dustin Pedroia. Pretty good. Pretty good pick at 65. Good start. 670, the score is where you are. It's Matt Spiegel and Bruce Levine inside the clubhouse. We'll talk some uh, national MLB and a little bit of Cubs with Ryan Dempster at the top of the hour. Keep it right here on the score. Bottom of the hour on the score was brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Looking to take a family or friends out to a game? Try a Chicago Wolves fan four-pack. Four tickets, four Vienna beef hot dogs, four drinks, popcorn at one low price. And enjoy free parking this season courtesy of Kia. Visit ChicagoWolves.com for ticket information. Also is brought to you by National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. Visit Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic in Schaumburg, February 22nd to 24th. The nation's largest upland hunting and conservation expo focuses on bird dogs, wild game cooking, and hunting heritage. With over 400 vendors and great seminars, Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic has something for you. Visit pheasantfest.org. We'll come back on Inside the Clubhouse and talk to Ryan Dempster. Then later on in the hour, some White Sox and the Manny Machado Spectre, maybe some MLB rule change conversation as well. Keep it here on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 